but he did ask me to preach just one chapter. And, oh, that would be great, just one chapter. Uh, except that it's John chapter 6, which out of the entire book of John is the longest of any of the chapters. Um, there's a lot here. So first of all, I hope you packed a lunch. Because if this goes long, it's not my fault. It's Ernie's fault for picking me. Because he knows that I will just go on and on. This chapter could have been conservatively six sermons. But we're going to cram that all into one. Okay. Um, no, you don't actually have to have a lunch. I mean, if, it would be fitting because we're going to be talking about you know, Jesus feeding the 5,000. So eh, seems like a nice connection there. Okay. Um, there's also going to be Jesus walking on water, referring to himself as the bread of life, and being deserted by many followers. I'm going to read all of it, um, but I'll be throwing in some, some asides and, and summaries. So We did already have an opening prayer, but I'm, I'm going to need to pray um, for what I'm about to say, too. Heavenly Father, I want these words to bring you praise. I want our focus um, as a church to be on you. Lord, anything that I say that isn't helpful, and it just fall to the ground. Otherwise, that your truth be heard and remembered. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so John chapter 6. Jesus feeds the 5,000. see. Sometime after this, oh wait, I'll call it, all right, already set aside. Sometime after what? Okay, well, remember last week, talked about the healing at the pool uh, at Bethesda. I remember that one. I didn't do it, it was that guy. Okay. Um, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Yeah. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. Okay, so there's a little bit of setting. Up on a mountainside with undisclosed number of people, Jewish Passover festival is near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough for even, what, for everyone to have even a bite. Um, so obviously he didn't believe that anything was going to happen. It's like, this is absurd. Why are we even thinking about this? Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, which sounds like he's got a plan. But then he says, but how far will they go among so many? So even he's saying, like, just highlighting the absurdity of this idea. Like, we are so far from having enough food. It's silly even to think about quick little aside, barley loaves are considered um, the, the bread of the poor of the time. Um, so if you could picture f- five little cakes of cheap grain and these fish, it even says small, right? Small fish. So we're talking like, oh, here's a couple sardines or dried fish to, you know, give your barley loaves a little flavor. That didn't deter Jesus. He said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, again, setting the scene, springtime, Passover. And they sat down. About 5,000 men were there, just the men, 
not including all of the women and children. So some estimate we got up to like 20,000 people there. Jesus then took those loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. All right, so this sounds like a mention of Moses. The people would have... um, the people probably would have felt this connection or at least seen the potential. This is the season of Passover, and this is also going to remind us of the manna in the wilderness. So people are on a mountainside without food, and uh, there is a, a godly provision of bread. Right? This is also a foreshadowing of what's uh, coming later in this chapter, Jesus referring to himself as the bread of life. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who has eaten. 12, 12 tribes. See, I'm just going to throw out these little things as we go. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. The prophet they're thinking of, someone talked about in Deuteronomy, like in the style of Moses, like someone is going to come, um, and they're ready to make him king. Like, oh, you might be the reluctant prophet. We're going to make you king. This, I, I know we got more coming later in this chapter, but this one really stuck out to me. Can you think of any other story where Jesus was on a mountain and was given the option of being king and sidestepping his responsibility? No? Okay, Matthew 4, verses 8 through 10. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. See that right there, right at the beginning. Jesus knows what he's there for. And Satan, being called the the prince of the air, says, all of this I have authority over. I'll just give it to you. You can be king. Just stop what you're doing. But that's not what Jesus came to do. And even here, these these people, they see this this man, they're going to make him king by force. Why? Because they have... This feeling of we are already oppressed. We're under a new occupation, right? They're Passover season. They're thinking about when they were freed from slavery in Egypt. Now they're under occupation by Rome. They would love to have a political deliverer come and be strong and ready to fight, to free them again, thinking again in very human terms. So they're giving him that same option. And Jesus says, no, I'm not here to deliver you from the little things that you're worried about. I'm here to deliver you from sin, from death. Like, I need to finish this. So he actually leaves to avoid that. So in that chapter, right, we've already got reference to Moses and manna, the temptation of Jesus, you know, turning down this role as a political deliverer. And then we move on to Jesus walking on water. So before we get into that one, there's a little bit of context. So I, I think we often think of... Um, going to the beach as being a very pleasant thing, right? But in, basically, in, in Near Eastern, ancient Near Eastern context, water was often used as a symbol of chaos or even like nothingness or wilderness. It's used very much the same way as like you were wandering in the wilderness, you are in uh, water. And so 
when these fishermen, some fishermen, some not, are in this boat, they're in the Sea of Galilee, a huge storm comes, it's down in a valley, well below sea level, these violent winds come, it's at night, you would be afraid, right? The fishermen are afraid. And we would all, of course, be afraid. So I'm just giving this context. This isn't like, oh, we're just sneaking away in the night. It's like, we might die. This is terrifying. And then something more terrifying happens, and that is you see uh, a figure just a show up on, on the water. Wait, do I, do I have those pictures? No? Yes? Oh, there. Okay, so... You might have expected, you know, some art history because that apparently is a thing that I do. Um, this is a drawing by Henry Asawa Tanner. You see that little smudge off on the right? Yeah, that's, that's a figure emerging from the darkness. The, the next one, I think, is a, is a painting. There we go. Now he's on the left. Switcheroo. That's the, the sketch versus the final painting. One of my favorite painters, but this idea, like, you're already scared. This looks much more tranquil than I'm imagining, but... Nice ambiance. Uh, and then with this, this figure appears, and that would be terrifying, right? All right, so I, I should read some of this so I don't just run off on here. All right, so when evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Now, the most significant part of this is you've already pictured them afraid, and then you hear out of the darkness, it is I, don't be afraid. That it is I is the same Greek as the other I am mentions throughout uh, the book of John. Uh, ego I me. And this is the divine name. All right, so you're scared, you're afraid you're going to die, you see a figure off in the distance, and you hear the divine name. I mean, that is the I am that I am. And every time, <laughs> is that me? Holy cow, I should stop breathing. <laughs> okay, it's going to go much faster now, one breath. Um, that distracted me, it's like a storm. I like that. Uh, I forgot what I was saying. Oh, ego on me. Yeah, okay, so the I am that I am. There we go. That, all right, that's it, right? You see that? There we go. Okay. I'm easily distracted. Fine. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. There's a little like a, a mystery adventure on the side here. I was trying to say, what's going on? Who's where? Um, all right, so we've got water is chaos. There's fear. Jesus is claiming the divine name. And I think the, the obvious summary of this one is, when Jesus is in your boat, you don't have to worry, right? That's a bumper sticker, right? Okay. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Which is a very legitimate question. Right? They've already been trying to figure out, like, 
not the number of boats, what, what's happening, the timeline. Um, but he doesn't answer that. He just sidesteps it. <clears throat> Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which, is this, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So rather than say, oh yeah, I walked on water, he's just like, I don't even think that you care about the signs. You only care that you got fed. I'm sure, Maslow's hierarchy of needs fits, but um, he skips right to this point. Like, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. Reminds me of Isaiah 55, 1 through 3. Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. So don't work for food that spoils. Works are not salvation. We accept the gift of God. That is salvation. And so Jesus had just said, do not work for food that spoils. And then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? They don't see it yet. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, I mean, they're they're starting to pick up, oh, he's saying I'm the one. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now, it seems clear that these are the same people that were there yesterday. Maybe some other people joined them, but like, come on. It's almost like they're laying it out, like, we're almost there, just not quite seeing it. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am, hear it? I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and you still do not believe. In other words, I gave you a sign, I am what you're asking for, but you still have not seen me for who I am. This next part, my my view, explains why. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at that last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. Now, I'm going to sidestep and have a whole different sermon about predestination. No, I could, but if you want to have that conversation another time, I'll just leave it at this. God is sovereign. Why are we saved? Because... God saved us. Faith is a miracle. It's not by our own strengths or works that we earn our place in heaven. We don't make ourselves good in God's eyes. God makes us good in God's eyes. If we are brought into God's hand by God, we are told he will never let us go. All right. At this, 
the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. He's, he's still doubling down on these points. Um, it is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world." He really laid it out there. I, I don't think there should be any follow-up questions to that. But he did push it a little bit farther, right? Like, oh, he, he came down from heaven. Yeah, I came down from heaven. Also, I am the flesh that you're to eat. Okay. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? In case you were unclear, that's definitely not kosher. Okay, like, so they're like, what? We cannot. Jesus said to them, again, doubling down, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day, for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. Throw in a bit of context at the end there. Um, this seems surprising to me that the people there didn't already make this connection, but obviously we have this 2020 hindsight benefit they were in the Passover season. That's when all of this context started. During which, if anyone here has uh, participated in a Seder, there are four cups of wine consumed per person at a Seder. They are all indicative of different things, but symbolic of the blood of the lamb. There are also uh, the, the reminder that, well, when they sacrificed the lamb at Passover, they were to eat the flesh of that lamb that night don't let it go through the night, and with unleavened bread. Still at Passover, we have unleavened bread. There are the three loaves. I'm not going to get into all of that, but the middle of those two loaves, and the loaf of Levi, is broken in half, and half of it is hidden away or buried for the remainder of the meal. After which, it is brought back. You might even say, resurrected. And it's called the afkomen, which is like the dessert, the treat, the celebration. This is even celebrated to this day. Right? So this idea, like, is he actually telling us to eat him? Like, seriously? It's Passover. Make the connection. You see that? Okay. See, I'm trying to speed this up because this I could just go for a long time, right? Second servant would just join us, like, oh, good. <laughs> um, 
So here are, the, here are the summaries that we've gotten so far. All right, Passover bread symbolism. We are given by the Father. We will not be lost. We don't work for food that spoils. Uh, we, manna, right, the I am, the bread of life. Okay, see, I'm just, there's repeating themes. Many disciples desert Jesus. That's with one S, not two, not like Afikoman, right? Okay. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching, who can accept it? Another way to translate that hard teaching is this is offensive. Right? So, obviously lesson there. Uh, who here has ever spoken with somebody who's apparently walking with God and has uh, turned away because of Hard teachings. I don't think God acts like that, or the Jesus that I would believe in doesn't do those things. Ever heard that? Oh, yeah, I have. Just me? Okay. Don't walk away from hard teachings. What I'm showing you in this one section is that this is a living word. This isn't just a cliff notes. Like, oh, and that's the next thing that happened. Moral is done. There are so many layers. I mean, we are pulling references from... Deuteronomy, Matthew, like this is all over in here. I mean, the son of man, the, the vision of Daniel, it just goes and goes and goes. There's always more to see if you trust that this is the word of God and God is in control and God will deliver the truth. Don't stop looking. It's there. All right. Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the son of man ascend to where he was before? The spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life, yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. In other words, he's saying, I can lay this out for you very clearly. Has anyone ever thought, I'm going to reason someone into the kingdom. I'm going to show you exactly why this is logical. Does it work? No. Why? Because it's not up to you. God is in control. Why do people come to faith? God brings them. Right? The flesh counts for nothing. Romans 7, 18 through 19. For I know that the that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. I don't do what I want to do, but I do what I don't want to do. It's a song. All right. The words I have spoken are full of spirit and life. Jeremiah 15, 16. When your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight. For I bear your name, Lord God Almighty. Deuteronomy 8, 3. He humbled you causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. We are to live, like be sustained by the words of God. This is life and spirit. Our flesh has no merit. We can't do things of our own strength. We must rely on him. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. It happens. You've seen it happen. I've watched it happen. You do not want to leave me too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve, as in those remaining. 
Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. And that's how we end on a high note. Um, oh, if I <laughs> that's there. Let's go just back a little bit. Okay, I, I will tell you, from personal experience, I've spoken. I, it wasn't even that long ago I spoke with somebody who was desiring to continue following God. They've had some really difficult circumstances in their life, and they were expressing to me this desire to give up, not on their life, but to give up on God's provision. Like, I want to believe, Wesley, but how can I? This is so difficult. It seems like everything's against me. And I wasn't planning this sermon, but that's basically what I said to him. Like, who would you turn to? Is it you? It, are you, got the, you got this? Obviously not. Is anyone else stepping up to the plate? No? Who are you going to turn to? You think by like saying, Jesus, you've given up on me, I'm giving up on you. You think it's going to get easier? That's the idea. Like, the, this sounds like a really faithful, faithful thing, but in a way they're like, why would we go anywhere else? We've already seen, like we put this together. I see what you're doing and God's holding us. There we go. Let's jump back to John 1, 1. We're going to start this over again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So Jesus is saying, my words are spirit and life. I am the bread of life come down from heaven. God is in control. Whoever he's given to me, I will not let go. There it is. Jesus is saying, I am God. I am here. This is your way for life. This is very clearly laid out. So if anyone's missing the gospel message here, Jesus is the only way to salvation. And when we are saved, when we are redeemed, moving towards sanctification because we are in, uh, in Jesus, we can celebrate because we know that we will never be uh, lost. He knows our needs, our fears, our hang-ups. I mean, you, you can take the analogy of the boat just about anywhere you want. Is there anything in your life that seems uncertain, tenuous, hesitant, scary? Yeah. If not, you're probably not looking. He has us. He speaks truth that can cut right through our illusions, uh, the thinking that I've, I've got this, I know what's happening. He was tempted, just like us, right? But he had the option of ease and not fulfilling the call. Just imagine that. If he hadn't fulfilled what he always had been intended to do, probably would have been kind of easy for him, right? That's how much he loves us. He died for us. He stood firm in the truth, and as a result, we have new life. We are given him to the, by the Father, and we are held fast in his hands. When we are overcome by fear, worry, desire, temptation, self-focus, 
on and on, etc., we might lose sight of Jesus and think that we can you know, just buckle down and work hard and make things right. I think I've made it clear, and I don't think anyone's under this illusion, that's total folly. That's absolutely absurd. Right? We know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs. Right? And we can be reminded of those words from Simon Peter. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. To whom would we go? Now, I want to take a moment to meditate on this, this knowledge that no one comes to Jesus unless the Father enables them, and those who come will not be lost. They will be raised again on that last day. will be preserved, redeemed, sanctified. And the way I want to do that is not what you're expecting. I... I love worship, and I appreciate the worship team here. What I really love in worship is hearing the congregation's voices. I'm particularly fond of what's called a shape note singing or sacred harp singing, where it's just voices. And there's a hymn that I want us to sing as a congregation, with no instruments, just us singing this. I think we've sung this before, a love that will not let me go. Now, you might be familiar with two different tunes to the song. The one I recall us singing before in, in this church is the one I'm, I'm aiming for. Now, um, if you could put on the, uh, the auto-tune and reverb. So I can <laughs> no, I'm actually gonna turn off my microphone um, so we can actually hear each other. That's, that's what I'm wanting, and I hope that you will experience this and just hear the hearts around you. I mean, these are souls singing, recognizing that we are in God's hands and we will never be let go. The life that we have is not ours, and we give it back, right? Let that be a time of worship. I, th I think that's a nice way to end this. Of course, then after that, we'll go back and that other symbolism, the communion. I mean, you see the connection here, right? Okay. Did you hear that? The souls around you singing, the recognition that our life is not our own and that we will not be lost. I, I want to end on that. I mean, there's a lot, like I said, there could be six sermons in here. But if we end on that point, knowing that I have nothing to offer, it's not by my strength that any of this happens. God is fulfillment of everything. He is here as a provider of life and hope. And he has said multiple times in one conversation, he will not let me go. How can I not celebrate that? To where else would I turn? That's a celebration, right? There, we've gone through uncertainty and fear and even offense. And we know that God has us. That's where I wanted to end. Isn't that good? Amen. All right, and now... We have communion, right? There are plenty of things we can say about communion, but I'm just putting it back in this context. Think of the Passover, think of the symbolism. I am the bread of life. This is what we're recognizing. We are partaking of the body and blood of Christ to know that, that this is life and spirit. We are under him, we celebrate his, um, his kingship, his lordship, that we are subject to him, that's it. 
Remember, I'm never good at ending things. Like, I'm done. Okay. No.